You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We are underway with game week number two. We really got underway with that on Monday and coming to you with our first Monday episode in season here with our new setup. We've got four episodes of this podcast per week moving forward through the fall. Uh, Mondays of game week where we take a, a look back at a little more in-depth some things that we may not have gotten to on the post-game podcast. We'll also do some recruiting conversations. As we did yesterday, Tyler Calvaruso joined us to break down the impact of getting all those prospects in, back into Beaver Stadium. If you missed our Monday episode that we snuck in there, make sure you out about 20, 30 minutes on recruiting and a lot more on game number one, which was a 38 uh, to 15 victory over West Virginia for Penn State. We now bring in Daniel Gowan, who you heard from on Monday. He'll join us every Tuesday coming out of James Franklin's press conference. We have video of that entire press conference. We have notes from that press conference. We also have notes from a couple conversations with the quarterback room and Drew Aller and Bo Perbula being made available here on a Tuesday morning. So whenever we can talk to folks, you know we're going to share that information, some quotes, context at Lions 24-7. Our VIP thread is up and underway for game week number two. And I just want to point out it's the last day of our 50% off kickoff special started toward the tail end of last week it ends tuesday at midnight so if you're catching this one on a tuesday and you had not done so yet it's a 50 percent off annual subscription it takes you all the way through next preseason camp it's a really good way to get in, get in to the door and then you'll be all set up with uh, all the different upgrades and availabilities that you get with entering the 24 7 sports network but daniel we'll talk about your vip piece that you put up in just a little while longer but well let's get to the rankings we waited a while longer normally they drop on Sunday afternoon, and we can break them down by the time the NFL games arrive. But in this instance, you had Clemson and Duke playing, and what a what a train wreck that turned out <laughs> to be for the top 10 Tigers. And on Sunday night, of course, you had Florida State and LSU playing, and what a train wreck that turned out to be for the top 10 LSU Tigers. Uh, and, and so now we get to the finish line of week one formally, and Penn State stays put for all the movement and, and action that we saw. Colorado stealing the headlines because they've burst onto the scene from 1-11 to a ranked team here in early September. Penn State's still at number seven, but as James Franklin said, you look around the chaotic start to this college football campaign, you feel pretty good about what you put on the field on Saturday getting to 1-0. Yeah, that's one of uh, James Franklin's, I think, staples, especially early in the season when there's a lot of these non-conference games, a lot of games with heavy favorites that, you know, winning in college football is hard and that you should always be grateful and appreciate it uh, when you can get it done because 
You saw what happened to Clemson on Monday night. You saw what happened to LSU on Sunday night. Um, and a couple other teams, you know, Texas Tech out at Wyoming, you know, a couple of ranked teams went down this week. Um, Penn State, 21 point favorites, uh, held on. You know, they got by West Virginia. They're one and oh. Obviously, there's stuff to work on. But, you know, I think seven is about where Penn, we expected Penn State to be coming into the season. You know, it's about, I think it's you know, a fine spot after one week. You know, they did get leapfrogged by Florida State, and then LSU tumbled out from above them. So there was a decent amount of movement uh, around the pole, but you know Penn State managed to to hold on to its spot. Um, you know, moving forward, you don't expect the the needle to move much after Delaware. Um, but then once we get into the end of this year with Illinois, um, who is receiving votes uh, in both polls, um, and Iowa, who was the first team out um, of both polls, unofficially number twenty six uh, in the receiving votes section depending on how these next couple of weeks go, there's a chance that the Hawkeyes could be ranked when they come to Beaver Stadium for the whiteout on September 23rd. So you know, there's a lot of moving parts right now. I know that you, know, you see a lot of, uh, well, there's only one ranking that matters. Um, and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's probably true. But you know, I think that these things are, are worth keeping track of and, and worth breaking down to see where Penn State fits in the greater context of the, you know, the college football world right now, especially in a season when there's such high expectations um, and that, you know, you're really expecting Penn state to be hovering around that top four um, as we get into October, as we get into November and as we get closer to December. In terms of the AP top 25 rankings right now, Penn state at number seven ahead of number 10, Notre Dame, number nine, Tennessee, number eight, Washington, all three of those programs were on their way up by at least a couple spots after week one wins. And then looking ahead of Penn state, you've got Southern Cal at number six, Ohio state dropped a couple spots uh, down to number five. Part of that reason was Florida state jumped from eight to four, as Daniel referenced Alabama at number three, Michigan at number two and Georgia, the two time defending champs at number one, Georgia, has 58 first place votes Michigan has two and how about this Florida State has three first place votes uh, after their dismantling in that second half of LSU we'll see what holds up through week two what holds up through September a lot to learn about everybody across the country and look that's our job here on the Penn State football beat Daniel we had a, a great opportunity to do that on Saturday finally seeing this team play somebody else for 60 minutes of action and then our first chance to get a follow-up uh, with James Franklin and company on a Tuesday coming out of one game and looking ahead to the next. But before we went back to Beaver Stadium and, and to hear from James Franklin, we got word, and this was another thing that was delayed because of the college football schedule this week, but Drew Aller, how the first start go? Well, he was named the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. Not Freshman of the Week, Offensive Player of the Week. He was considered the finest performance put out there by an offensive player across this conference in his first start. We went through the numbers a bunch of times the last couple of podcasts. Let's do it one more time. 21 of 29 passing, 325 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. Uh, helped in that regard by a Keandre Lambert-Smith pass breakup in the end zone. But uh, look, the, the body of work, we, we've, we've kind of – hammered at home you me mark brennan the last couple podcasts and nationally it's being recognized and all of a sudden people are starting to view this penn state team not so much based on projection but what they now have seen on film yeah you know i think that we talked about drew aller coming into the season with a lot of attention on him but a lot of curiosity about him too you know i know that in you know our circles you know, especially the people that cover Penn State day to day. Um, you know, we've known about Drew Aller for a while. When you talk about our little bit wider circle in terms of 
people in our network, 24-7 sports. You know, Drew Aller was a five-star quarterback, you know, the number one quarterback uh, in the class of, of 2022. Um, so, you know, among a lot of our, our coworkers and colleagues, he's been a known commodity. But I think that if you're talking about, you know, even a casual uh, fan of a Big Ten West team, potentially even a diehard fan of a Big Ten West team, you know, maybe Drew Aller isn't on your radar. You know, if you're a Big 12 fan, SEC fan, you know, wherever else, he might not necessarily be, um, you know, someone who is on your radar. You know, we talked about his recruitment. He wasn't one of these guys that was a wire to wire five star. He kind of burst onto the scene late. And because there was no drama in his recruitment, and once it was Penn State, it was pretty much shut down from there. Uh, you know, he wasn't someone who kind of re-entered the headlines at various points. So, you know, I think that he was tucked away a little bit last year, but you know, he gets to announce himself, gets this Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week honor. Um, Sean Clifford won it twice last year. Um, he was the only Penn State player to be named the Conference Offensive Player of the Week. But then you go through Nick Singleton and Katron Allen each had a couple freshmen of the week. Um, Jair Brown was a defensive player of the week. Um, and I think Pinnegar might have had a special teams player of the week in there, too. So, you know, every Monday, uh, you know, once the season really gets into its normal rhythm, these awards come out. And I think more often than not, there's going to be a Penn State player who's going to be in the mix for one um, because of the potential. And I think for Drew Aller, um, you know, it's going to be, you know, every week it's going to be interesting to see Monday morning. How did he stack up against the rest of the offensive players uh, in the conference? And I think he's off to a good start right now. And I'll just note here, J.J. Uh, um, McCarthy, you know, a lot of notoriety around his name and where Michigan is right now and what he meant to their run last year. 26 of 30 for 280 yards, three touchdowns at East Carolina, against East Carolina, I should say, in week one. And I saw that uh, occurring in the afternoon. I said, yeah, he's going to end up your Big Ten Conference Player of the Year. Then I went to Beaver Stadium and, and we saw what we saw and came away thinking, okay, it might be Drew Aller after all. And and he does get that award. And I, I'm thinking back to 2019 when Sean Clifford took home Big Ten Conference player of the week after his first Big Ten start. That was later in September. It was on the road when they blew up that Maryland blackout. I know you remember that matchup pretty well. <laughs> and uh, and so hearken me back to that a little bit. But when we talk about the launch pad that this might be in week one, it just feels a lot different around Drew Aller than any other quarterback we've covered here at Penn State. And meanwhile, uh, Bo Perbula surfaced on the national radar a bit on Saturday night, not so much because he scored a touchdown, but because of when he scored that touchdown. And we'll talk about James Franklin diving into that and responding a bit to what Neil Brown said about that late score in a second. But we also heard from Bo Perbula this morning. Uh, It wasn't just Drew Aller. These two guys were, were both considered to be in that competition all through this year of 2023, if you asked anybody on the record, there was a quarterback competition. We, we discussed that all the way through kickoff. We didn't officially get the announcement that it was Drew as QB1 until minutes before he took that snap. And I think when we hear from Bo, you hear it exactly what you expect. A guy who loves Penn State, reiterating that he loved them as a kid, fondly recalling Trace McSorley's heroics when he was in middle school and early in high school. And I remember having those conversations with Bo when his recruitment was developing and, and how fond he was of Trace McSorley, modeling some of his play style after that. Now he here is here on campus wearing that number nine, scoring a touchdown in Beaver Stadium. All things aside and, and everything with Drew Aller aside, this is a really cool story that of kids in Pennsylvania would love to see themselves live out on an annual basis. Yeah, it, it's really cool for Bo Perbula when you think about someone who is from the state, 
know, grew up uh, a big fan and is now having the opportunity, you know, to play for his, his dream school. Um, and then to get the opportunity to score a touchdown in Beaver Stadium on his first, uh, in, in his debut. You know, we didn't get to see him at all last year. He was working behind the scenes as that number four quarterback uh, behind Clifford Aller and Christian Veyu. Um, so now for him to have that opportunity to be the number two, um, it does sound like we're going to see some interesting wrinkles uh, with the offense that could involve Prabula out there um, as time goes on. Whatever Penn State does, hopefully it goes better than what West Virginia did uh, with its two quarterbacks on that fourth down on Saturday. Um, but yeah, I think that it is cool for uh, for Bo Prabula. I know that the the Trace McSorley comparisons uh, have been you know ruined for a long time. You know that number nine favorite player, similar playing styles, but. I think the one thing that you know stands out to me with with watching Bo Prabula and, and seeing him around is just how big he is. Yes. Um, you know, I I think I was only around Trace McSorley in person you know once or twice when uh, the Baltimore Ravens and Eagles did joint practices in 2019 uh, before McSorley's rookie year. Um, and you know, he was standing next to Miles Sanders, and the the size comparison was was pretty similar. Um, but being around Bo Prabula, I mean, he's a he's a big kid. You know, he's built really well. Uh, we know what he was on the defensive side of the ball in high school. Um, and I think that, you know, if when he's out there, even though he's modeled a lot of his game after Trace McSorley, it's going to look a little bit different. And I'm really excited to see what that is. You know, he looked like he belonged out there. Um, I think he's been kind of typecast because of that as a more undersized, scrappy type of player. But when you look at him behind that offensive line, you know, next to those West Virginia defenders, you know, he did look like he belonged. Yeah, he has this a lot of that speed, I think, comparable speed to, to where Trace McSorley was. And so did Sean Clifford. We talk about just straight line, tuck the ball and run straight line speed. Sean had that too. But what Bo has that's different than Trace, and I think where the comparison kind of, you know, crumbles a little bit in that regard, going back to high school really, is he's two inches taller than Trace. He's really about the same weight right now at 19, 20 years old as Trace McSorley is as a 28-year-old in the NFL. I just checked his NFL profile. They have him listed at six foot, 210 pounds. I believe Bo Perbula is 205 pounds at about six foot two right now. And he's a guy that when we went back, you know, a couple of weeks ago before the season started and we drafted our 11-man teams and Mark you know, made that pick and said, he's my number one guy. And, you know, he wasn't messing around. There really was a, a power five prospect profile to be considered at defensive back or elsewhere on the football field for Bo Perbula. Remember he developed at, at, at central York and, and did things with that program that had never been accomplished. This wasn't any kind of a quarterback factory. Uh, he was the best kid in the playground. You put the ball in his hands and, and you see what he can do. And he proved to be a legitimate viable power five quarterback prospect and Penn State was able to retain his services despite the offensive coordinator change post-commitment despite bringing in the eventual number one quarterback in his class this kid loves Penn State you're going to hear that hammered home over and over and that's what makes him a little bit different than if they had brought some kid up from Florida uh, with Drew Aller or if they had brought a, you know, a, a kid up from uh, from North Carolina someone who doesn't really have uh, roots on the ground here there's a lot of roots that that, that Bo Perbula has already sunk into the soil at Happy Valley. And now, you know, now he's getting opportunities. And I, I'm curious, I don't think it happens against Delaware because I don't think it makes a lot of sense for them uh, from a competitive standpoint to put him out there and start to, to show your hand and what you might do with him on the field with Bo, with Drew Aller. 
But that's something I think as we get deeper into September, I'm looking at that whiteout matchup. Maybe that's a fun time to unveil something new. I remember when they finally got around to showing the Lion package in 2018 when Tommy Stevens was banged up early in the year. They had Sean Clifford as the primary number two. They unveiled some of those things in the whiteout against Ohio State. Now, if I recall correctly, it didn't work out too well in that instance with Tommy Stevens uh, and the offense in, in those efforts. But I could see something like that popping up against Iowa later this month. But what we do think is based on what we anticipate from this matchup, and we'll talk about our predictions, we'll talk more about Delaware in our Thursday episode here on the podcast, I imagine we're going to see a prolonged period of Bo Prabula leading this offense, getting to go through it. And that's what James Franklin said was so important about the end of the West Virginia game, Daniel. It wasn't about tacking on the points. It wasn't about making the betters across America happy or angry. It was about giving Bo Prabula and those other second team players on the Penn State offensive attack the opportunity to maximize their chance to play in live action football. You got a guy like Bo Prabula watched 13 games last year, traveled to every game. You want to put him on the field with a few minutes to go against the other team's first team and say, take a few knees. You're going to learn a lot from this experience or hand the ball off and, and get out of the way. You're going to learn a lot. No, they're running cover zero. How, what do we do in a game against cover zero? Do we take a knee? Do we run the ball right at it? No, we play quarterback and we use our minds and our arms to adjust. And they wanted to give Bo Perbula a chance to do that. I think he'll get a, a nice stretch run here against Delaware to show what he's about a bit more. But I think you have to respect the, the kind of pushback that Franklin put out there against any kind of narrative that he was trying to pad the stats against Neil Brown's first team defense. I can understand why Neil Brown would have some frustration in the moment in the bowels of Beaver Stadium on Saturday night late. But I, I certainly can respect where James Franklin's coming from. Uh, and, and he said, if I had my first teamers out there and we had that approach, then you can call me out. But that was not the case. Yeah, I thought that James Franklin made a, a good point when talking about that, that you're not putting those second teamers out there to you know, take a knee. Um, you, you talk about getting them experience. And this is something with Penn State that, you know, especially these past two years, dating back to that 2021 Iowa game, you know, the lack of experience for some of these backups, that's something that Penn State wants to remedy as much as they can early in the year. And I think that in that in this West Virginia game, it's even more important for Penn State to get that experience because of the way the schedule is set up. You know, last year you had Ohio and Central Michigan um, in the first couple weeks of the season, uh, whereas this year it's only Delaware. You don't have that second non-conference game that is typically scheduled against an inferior opponent until UMass comes in October. Um, and then, you know, right after Delaware, you're going to Illinois. It's a hostile environment. Who knows what's going to happen there? So, you know, I think for Penn State to get the twos in and to let them run the offense, it really is a valuable experience. You have to find those snaps wherever you can just because of how important uh, it is. But, you know, I do think that the you know West Virginia had the ones out there. You know, they were playing cover zero. It was still a two-score game down the stretch. You know, when they made that two-point conversion, that cut it to 16. Um, that's not a game that I think a lot of people would consider to be out of hand. Um, and I think we've seen it in the past where James Franklin has left the starters in late, even when it's been a, a three-score three game sometimes. Um, so, you know, I thought I didn't have a problem with what Penn State did in the moment. Um obviously if you're a West Virginia fan, it's just kind of how fandom works. You're going to look at things a little bit differently. Um, you know, Neil Brown, who knows what he would say about it. A couple of days removed at this point, but you know, Penn state had their twos against West Virginia, West Virginia's ones uh, for the Penn state defense. 
that didn't necessarily go too well. And James Franklin said that you know, he reiterated it to some of those players that, you know, that's the standard. You need to play up to the standard, um, especially on defense. But for the Penn State offense to get some run, to get Bo Prevula uh, in there, to move some guys around on the offensive line, uh, you got Trey Potts, his first run um, as a Penn State running back. I mean, I think that that was, that was valuable. And you, know, you get more out of that than you do sending those guys out there to to kneel or, or run the ball, you know, do a halfback dive three times in a row and punt. Well, how about a uh, Ruley, uh, the, you know, the third, the third yes. center, a walk on his second year, Dominic Ruley. And, and, and now we're, we're learning from James Franklin uh, on, on Tuesday that there's some bumps and bruises in play with Hunter Norzad, your starter at center, Nick Dawkins, you know, the next man up there, as we've been projecting, uh, got some run too, but he didn't play it really at all last year. So you're not quite sure what you have in him as a year four player. You want to see more of him. And now you get really some game action. Does it help him to snap the ball and, and have Bo Prabula take a knee? And again, at that point, you're not taking knees. You're up by 16. You need to hold on to the football. I, I guess the, the, if Neil Brown, well, I should say this, if West Virginia, if there's some residual ill will, they'll have an opportunity to remedy that situation for themselves next year in the season opener down in Morgantown. Penn State's traveling that way, but I don't know if Neil Brown's going to be there for that game. So uh, that, 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 that may be someone else. That may be a player versus Franklin deal if anything's lingering, but I think Franklin did a nice job putting the punctuation mark there, and we hadn't even hit on the topic through our first couple podcasts uh, post-game, so there it is. We did it. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's jump into the newcomer of the week for Penn State, really. I mean, we were going through the list of freshman breakout possibilities and all the different transfer portal pickups this year at different positions in all three phases of the game. And not a name that was on the, the I guess, the, the first guy on that list for any of us going into the season and said, Malik McLean would be the runaway newcomer of, of the week against West Virginia, and he really was. Not only did he catch four passes for 58 yards and a touchdown in his debut after making the move from Florida State in January, he was also named the Penn State staff special teams player of the week 
So Daniel, I mean, we, uh, James Franklin went out of his way in a uh, the press conference today during the opening statement to gush about Malik McLean and just his personality and his commitment and what he's brought to the program. And then, you know, obviously as a player, the impact that has been there and the strides that he's been made. We heard from both quarterbacks about the major step that he took from being a guy who was trying to find that footing, going through that adjustment period in the spring ball to someone who came out of preseason camp as a reliable commodity, not just for your offense, but for your special teams as well. And let's remind ourselves, this guy started nine games for the Florida State Seminoles as a freshman. He's a former five, four-star prospect. And now here he is, the start of junior eligibility, this may be a major pickup for Penn State, especially if what we saw on Saturday night was an indication of what lies ahead. Last week when, when I was talking to Malik Mega after practice uh, about guys that, that had flashed to him and, and impressed him, you know, he brought up Malik McLean uh, really with, with no hesitation. Um, it, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, that they've both been described kind of similarly, similarly, Malik McLean and Malik Mega, you know, as two guys that have great personalities, uh, you know, smiles on their faces, you know, bring, you know, bring something to that room. Um, and then they're both you know, similar body types too. But, you know, I think that seeing Malik McLean in that type of environment, I think that he changed a lot of people's perceptions of him. He changed my perception of him. Um, earlier this year, I had a conversation with someone who was really familiar with McLean at Florida State, and he was just kind of like, yeah, you know, he was a good prospect. He got buried on the depth chart when he was on the field. He'd make a couple nice catches here and there. Couldn't get open too much. You know, it was kind of like, uh, you know, Florida State wouldn't necessarily miss him a lot. Um, mm -hmm. That was kind of the, the perception that I got. And then you know, we didn't really hear too much about him. Um, through through spring and, and into through the summer. But you know, I do think that this shows that you know, something's brewing with Marcus, Marcus Higgins, that there is development happening behind the scenes, um, and that Drew Aller has a lot of trust in a lot of different receivers, you know, especially to go to someone like Malik McLean, um, you know, who has been around since January, but is still new to the program, you know, didn't have the, that bank of reps from last summer. Um, and, and last season. So yeah, I'm really curious to see what this looks like. This you know, receiver set setup looks like moving forward. We didn't get an answer on Omari Evans, uh, who was questionable, warmed up and didn't play on Saturday. Um, but it does seem like that Penn State is looking for three, four, five, six, and seems like maybe Malik McLean, at least early on, has staked his claim to one of those spots. Now, I'm not sure if Florida State staff is losing sleep over it because you know, <laughs> they went they went and grabbed the Michigan State's top playmaker and Keon Coleman, and all he did in, in his debut was catch three touchdowns with the Seminoles. But I do know that Malik McLean looks like uh, he he should have he, he looks like he belonged and he looked like he'd been around. I think that's really what stood mm -hmm. out to me just just the smoothness of, of of his performance and also to get it done in multiple phases at a very high level. Um, I just wonder, based on one game, I feel like you can say the projectionable trajectory is above what you got out of Mitch Tinsley last year. And I say that because of what we're already seeing early. And remember, Mitch Tinsley was looked to in game one last year in key moments by Sean Clifford during that comeback against Purdue late. But in this case, six foot four frame is just different. Uh, 
and, <laughs> and 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 the special teams impact is different than what you've got there. So right now it's looking like, and they haven't really gone wild and and bringing in wide receivers via the transfer portal. But it looks like you could have your biggest pickup here. And I don't want to sleep too much, and I don't want to put him too far off to the side. And Dante Cephas, because if he gets his hands on that football and, and brings it in, we're talking about him having a touchdown. We're viewing his night in a different lens right now, but he didn't. So th- that's on him, and he's got to recover from that uh, oppor- and missed opportunity, and we'll see what he makes of it. But right now, I think you come out of 60 minutes of football thinking Malik McLean is a legitimate playmaker for this Penn State offense, not just a guy, that a body to throw out there and, and take a shot at occasionally. And what I hear about McLean going back to his days at Tallahassee and then coming here to the practice field is, where it could really get scary for him downfield, and I think this is where Harrison Wallace is at in some ways too, is that when those 50-50 balls show up, and you get a good taste of it against this defensive backfield in the practice field, but when he's really in command and going and plucking those things and using that go-go gadget length that he has at six foot four as well, he could become a different threat downfield. And, And that's an aspect of his game that I hope to see unfold a little bit here in the first few games, but so far, so good from Malik McLean. And, and when James Franklin goes out of his way and spends a few minutes after your first game with his program, uh, gushing your praises before anyone asks a question in a press conference, I think it's worth discussing here on the podcast as well. Um, Daniel, I think another thing worth discussing here has to be the offensive line. I mentioned the fact that Hunter Norzad is apparently uh, dealing with some some bumps and bruises. To what extent, we don't know, but we did see three centers involved over the course of that West Virginia game. Late, you saw uh, redshirt junior Nick Dawkins and the redshirt freshman walk-on Dominic Rudy. But I think over at right tackle, we wanted to get a longer look at Caden Wallace. There was a, a point earlier in the game, the first half, where he was reaching he he was he was you know he was off his platform and the defensive end got to Drew Aller and and, and made Drew pay and, and and you'd never want to see Drew get hit and I think people saw where that where that come from and they said oh no it's right tackle we've seen this before and I think there was probably a temptation for a lot of folks out there in the press box in the seats watching on TV to let that be the lasting image of game one for Caden Wallace. But I encourage people to get a better scope of the full body of work he put out there. This was not a liability situation. I know that was a moment in time that you don't want to see pop up against a Michigan or an Ohio State. We know what happened off the edge in some of those matchups last year. But to me, Daniel, this was a situation where Caden Wallace comes out of week one with footing, and James Franklin says that he feels that that momentum that he established in preseason camp did carry over through week one, though, again, said consistency, play by play, drive by drive. But here's the good news. I heard those exact same lines from Caden Wallace when he and I had a very long conversation on the practice field a couple weeks ago. He is extremely self-aware about where he is in his career, how he is viewed by the fans, how he is viewed by James Franklin. He's owned up to that, and he's a guy that we're going to keep tracking. I think we'll see less of him next week against Delaware. But come that Illinois matchup, come that Iowa matchup, it's all systems go. You need that best version of Caden Wallace. You think about the season opener last year at Purdue where Caden Wallace starts at right tackle and has that and is out there until five minutes left in the fourth quarter uh, when Bryce Effner comes in for the last few drives. And you know, after the game, James Franklin said it was a, you know, it was a rotation, um, which you can look into that how, however you want based on the timing and the circumstances that happened. And you fast forward to this year, the season opener, you know, he has a couple reps that weren't, weren't the most clean early on, but you didn't see Drew Shelton out there, come out there until the third quarter. Um, I believe you know, in, and we maybe expect he also, this. he also went in for Olu by the way. True. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so 
you know, I think we talked a little bit about a rotation going into this year at right tackle. Um, I think we were, you know, coming in you know, right up to the opener when we did that first unofficial depth chart. We took the ore off because we felt that Caden Wallace had solidified himself there. You know, and then we we saw it out there. Um, you know, I think that he is someone where you kind of know where the floor is uh, with him. But, you know, he has a I believe he has a high ceiling with those physical traits, you know, those those athletic traits. Um, and I think the ability that he had to stay on the field and rebound from maybe a couple, uh, you know, miscues early on, I, I think that bodes pretty well. Um, I know that he graded out well uh, on some of the the analytic services, which you can also read into those however you want. Um, but I thought it was a solid first, uh, you know, first game out, you know, for Caden Wallace, who's someone that has had a lot of attention on him for not necessarily the best reasons these past few years. I don't remember what the descriptor was. James Franklin said the the weekly award that they applied or the weekly label they said they applied to JB Nelson, but it had something to do with him being like a a, a bruiser of men out there and just a a, a guy who's nasty. Uh, I don't remember. I'm sure you're looking it up now. The offensive Um, finisher of the week. The offensive finisher of the week. So uh, there you go. That's basically how we've been describing JB Nelson on this podcast in our coverage at lines247.com with the caveat of this is based on what we're hearing on the practice field. This is what we're hearing from the defenders. This is what we're hearing from the coaching staff. And now we got to see it in action and we got to see him play against West Virginia Mountaineers football players for a change. And it's shown through. I mean, this is a guy who was as advertised and, and, and we said it before, if, if he shows up and he's not looking like that kind of a wrecking crew, then I'm going to feel like we were uh, led astray by, by a lot of folks during preseason camp, but he was exactly that. And Landon Tangwall, it's retirement. You know, you forget almost because of how quickly the season just forces you forward. That was less than a week ago when we got that announcement, but JB Nelson for about a month now, or at least a few weeks has felt like he's been locked in at, as the guy left guard because of that circumstance for this team. So he was loaded up with those reps. We did not see Anthony Donko involved, the, the freshman that we've seen work behind him. We did see Vega Ioane working at both guard spots, but I think JB Nelson showed that he is a first team starting quality guard for this Penn state team. And Several years after James Franklin said, I need nasty football. I need nasty linemen if we want to win Big Ten titles. And, you know, it was kind of a desperate plea at that point. And since then, he's fired an offensive line coach and brought in a new one and has gone through the recruitment process and and, and assembled a lot more blue chips around here. And it feels like J.B. Nelson fits that to a T, what James Franklin is looking for from the trenches. On on Tuesday, James Franklin said that J.B. Nelson brings a presence that Penn State needs up front. And I think that was really on display uh, on Saturday. There was the one uh, Katron Allen run uh, early in the game where, where J.B. Nelson re- really finished his block almost directly on top of Katron Allen and, <laughs> yeah. the, and the defender who tackled him. I mean, that's kind of the, the nastiness that we've heard about, um, you know, that edge. Uh, there were a you know, a couple people posted the the clip from the very first play of the game, uh, where JB Nelson blocked you know two guys to help free up Nick Singleton, and you look at how he finished those blocks. You know, he had he had the last guy on the ground. Um, I think that that's something when when you think about the, some of the Penn State offensive linemen um, in recent years. You know, a lot of guys that that we enjoyed talking to, that were nice to be around, um, and that got things done on the field, but you wouldn't have necessarily classified many of them as as mean uh, or or nasty um so i think that this is something a little bit different um for penn state and i think that it's something that that can really help you um 
you know, for JV Nelson, like a lot of the rest of the guys on the line, not necessarily the cleanest game in some respects, but I do think that it was promising. It was, it was what you wanted to see. I mean, this was a power five defensive line. Obviously West Virginia lost some people from last year uh, who were important up front, but for him to really be able to hold his own, uh, I think was really good for Penn state. We didn't really see uh, a rotation at that left tackle or left guard spot. Um, I don't think Vanga Ioane came in at left left guard until the game was pretty much out of hand. Um, so I think that that kind of signals where Penn State is at um, with JB Nelson, and I you know, I give him a, a good review for that first game. I, I do wanted to circle back and express a little bit of concern about what we heard briefly from James Franklin on Hunter Norzad, who he says they feel like can be one of the best centers in the country. And this is his first year at center. He, he was a tackle at the Ivy league level with Cornell and all conference player there. And last year uh, gets work at, as a, as a rotational piece. And then as a starting piece at, at left guard, now playing center where you had one of the best in the country juice Krugs last year, he was not, you know, we didn't see a healthy version of Hunter Norzad last year, unfortunately. And, and and if folks can remember, he actually missed a game in September, and that meant some work uh, for J.B. Nelson behind Landon Tangwall. Um, and, and even when he was playing and starting those matchups, we did not see the healthiest version of Hunter Norzad in that year one. And I was hoping that we would. So it's a little disheartening to hear uh, that, unfortunately, right now here on September 5th, uh, that, that he's in the bumps and bruises department from James Franklin. We'll find out what that means for this particular Saturday. I'd imagine... Again, because of the Blue Hens matchup, there's going to be a chance to you, you want Nick Dawkins to get a lot of reps. You maybe don't want Hunter Norzad to be accruing a bunch of body blows on in this instance. So is this a chance for, for Hunter Norzad to step aside? I know you don't want to hear that. You're trying to get this new center quarterback combination step, set up. But when you're hearing bumps and bruises after four quarters of football and you think about how much Big Ten action lies ahead for your starting center, just makes you a little bit wary there. So something to monitor that we didn't necessarily come into the press conference. Of. And uh, Daniel, to, to f- kind of finish up here on the press conference and, and on the note of potential injuries, uh, there were a few really notable unavailable players. And, and we've got this new pregame status report that's mandated across NCAA. But what the really important thing to point out to everybody is here, it's not an injury report. It's not you know, they're not going to say shoulder issue and, and knee issue. And they're not even going to say it's an injury. It's just this guy's out. And if you can figure it out, great. Uh, the people that were out definitively before the matchup here, Amin Vanover, you know, a, a, a fourth or fifth component on your defensive end, uh, defensive end group that's going to play a ton of football this year, and that's what we've been told all year. Uh, you've got Kaziah Izzard, a guy that very well would have started in week one. Maybe Zane Durant does get the start, but either way, he's playing a bunch of football there. And, and then you've, you've got Daquan Hardy, who is a starter for you in that uh, nickel slot role. He's been there for a few years now, fifth-year senior. Omari Evans was, was listed as questionable. He was in his pads. He was going through warm-ups. He did not participate in the game at the end of the day. But, Daniel, those three were specifically asked about during the press conference, and the phrasing of it here was, is it season-ending injuries? And folks who have followed James Franklin and what he's willing to talk about and not talk about about the injury front is, look, if it's a season-ending injury, I will tell you. Otherwise, probably not going to give you much. He confirmed, no, none of these guys are out for the season. I want to reiterate, we don't know that there's all three of them are injured, or maybe two of them, or maybe one of them. We're going to see this team on the practice field on Wednesday. We'll be with our binoculars in the press box on Saturday. But I think between now and Saturday, we hope to ask a follow-up again with James. Uh, We'll see what he comes up with uh, in terms of a reply, if we can get any more clarity here on any of these three. But 
their availability does matter. Maybe not so much this Saturday, but these are three guys that, again, you could probably say are in the top 20 to 25 members of this defense, and they're going to go deep on a weekly basis on that side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, you talk when you talk about Daquan Hardy and, and Kaziah Izzard, I mean, both of them have the pet potential to be kind of de facto starters uh, based on the amount of reps that they play, you know, whether or not Penn State opens with either of them on the field. I mean, when you talk about maybe the top 15 players on the defense in terms of usage, I would expect both of them to be projected to be in that group. Um, and then you look at what Penn State did uh, defensively, where with how they move their person personnel around, um, how they use multiple defensive backs. You know, how does that look different when you have Daquan Hardy? Um, I think that that's something interesting to watch. And then, you know, I pegged Amin Vanover as an under the radar player to watch this year in one of our kickoff roundtables. Um, and I, you know, we've only heard good things from him about him. Mm -hmm. we, you know, heard from Adisa Isaac at, at Big Ten Media Days. I think Olu Fashion, who had some good things to say about him too. Um, he's one of, the, I think he's the heaviest defensive end that they have on the roster. Um, you know, I remember early in his career two years ago, uh, Brent Pry did, you know, a, a three-man front with in a passing situation, and Amin Vanover was the guy over the center. Um, so, you know, he's someone who is bigger, brings something a little bit different there. Um, so it, it, I think that all those guys, you know, the way the game ended and with what happened during the game, I couldn't, I can't say you necessarily miss them. Maybe Izzard in the middle um, of that defense. But, you know, I do think that when you get to Illinois, Iowa, you know, teeth of Big Ten schedule, these three guys are all Big Ten quality players. You know, they have experience, they have reps, they've held up. Um, and you need as many of those guys, you know, available to you as you can in order to to make things happen this year. We're working our way towards a noon kickoff Saturday in Beaver Stadium. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, 50% off VIP deal going until midnight tonight on a Tuesday. And I mentioned that again because we've got a, a few VIP staples that I think a lot of folks have responded well to uh, at Lines 24-7. I mean, not necessarily something we didn't do last year, but a, a, a game snaps analysis piece. We don't just give you the game snaps. We give you the game snaps and explain why they matter and, and, and what actually stood out from this usage, where guys were used who didn't show up, and also maybe some surprises along the way. You never know on a week-to-week -week basis. And by the way, it's going to be really interesting to go through that game snap report after the Delaware matchup, I think. Uh, and Daniel's got a piece that he does called Game Rewind, and it's kind of a, a mix of a lot of leftovers from the notebook uh, from the weekend, but really some observations that I know you get when you turn on the TV rewatched for everything because it's one thing to see everything in live speed as we do from the press box and it's a great vantage point and there's a lot to be gained from it but there's also something to be gained from re-experiencing it via the television broadcast definitely i think it's a good way to sort of empty the notebook things that we have that um you know it might not be enough for a story or given when the game kicked off we might not have time to do it um as a story so yeah, and it's nice to mix in some observations because you know, when we're up there in the press box, we're going back and forth with different things, bouncing ideas off of each other, and then to have that opportunity to come look back at the game, you know, see things a little bit differently, figure out if the in-the-moment uh, instincts were were correct or not. Um, I think that's pretty valuable, and you know, I think that you know our subscribers are super active, super knowledgeable, and. You know, I think that they want to know these things. They, they want this input from us. So that'll be a feature every Monday, 
hopefully it'll be up in the mornings. Maybe it'll be up in the afternoons. But yeah, I think it's a good way to go through, have a second watch, you know, kind of almost talk through things a little bit, you know, with our subscribers, uh, with myself almost, and, <laughs> you know, see what were we seeing? What does it mean moving forward? Um, and just little, maybe little things that that stood out that, you know, don't really have a home, but we'd like to share with you. Yeah, a lot of conversations breaking out on the message board these days. It's a fun time to be involved there for a 1-0 team with high expectations and in a lot of ways look the part in, in week number one. Um, and Daniel, uh, we've got a bunch of recruiting coverage. I don't want to shortchange, by the way, what Tyler Calvaruso and Brian Doan <laughs> and Steve Wolfong have all brought to the table and continue to bring to the table. There have been more than a dozen uh, recruiting stories written up, ranging from individual profiles that go in-depth about top 24-7 prospects coming to campus for Penn State's opener to really a comprehensive, far-ranging, notebook-style uh, recruiting uh, uh, content up at lines247.com right now. So a lot coming your way on Wednesday before we get to you with another podcast Thursday. We'll be back on the practice field with Penn State. We'll have a bunch of notes, what we're hearing from Penn State players and coaches throughout the week. We'll have our VIP practice report up on Wednesday evening along. Later in the week, I, uh, we've got another staple coming up. It's going to be another notebook that kind of gathers more thoughts going ahead into another matchup. I think this week we'll be taking a look at some areas of the roster that we hope to see a little bit more of going into week two against Delaware. But for now, we're stepping aside from the podcast. Daniel, thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to your continued coverage. I know you've got a piece on Bo Prabula coming up. I encourage people to check out what you had written about Drew Aller and his Big Ten uh, Player of the Week honors as well earlier. Thanks for having me, Tyler. All right, we'll be back a little bit later with episode number three of game week number two on Thursday. And then, of course, Saturday afternoon, we're back to break everything down from Penn State versus Delaware with a postgame edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. For now, stepping aside, I am Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.